0: As you may have noticed, I put out episode 252 as episode 251 a little prematurely. I was made aware that July 11th is too early to put out this podcast because uh, July 22nd is when the plea deal actually goes through. So uh, the plea deal went through, so now I'm releasing episode 352 don't do drugs a rare solo episode uh please enjoy it for legal reasons it's been postponed a week i saw a couple hundred people <laughs> listen to it before it was uh it was uh, supposed to be available you know for legal reasons sometimes i gotta make sure my court case is through before you know whatever but uh now everything's been resolved please enjoy episode 352 don't do drugs welcome the highway diary i'm your host eric hollerbach man uh, uh, boy have i been through the ringer now i want to do a solo episode i don't do these often but he- here's what happened um i've told the story before but now there's been a resolution <clears throat> there's been a resolution super bowl 2021 when i first moved here i had a party uh, me and CJ Kelly, my old roommate were invited to a party and we were having fun. We were eating Buffalo wings, hanging out. I fell off a deck and I got knocked out. I was living with CJ on this lease for a year. Um, and he started doing heroin and, you know, I didn't really mind because he was sleepy all the time. Um, and, uh, I kind of set some boundaries where your food's your food, my food's my food. And I was working full time and his mom was paying the rent. So what do I care? Your mom's paying the rent. You're doing heroin. uh, You're sleepy all the time. The rent's paid. Eh? Eh? I don't care. So then uh, a year in, so then his friend comes uh, through, Tom Whalen. Tom Whalen said that when he was living with C.J. In Burbank on his couch, C.J. would drink soap so that he would go to the doctor, and the doctor would do blood work, and his blood work would look bananas because he just drank soap. So then he said, Oh, I've been diagnosed in the past with acute pancreatitis. So then his blood work would come out like his off the charts because there was soap in his system. And the only thing for acute pancreatitis is opium, pain management. So he would drink soap to get blood work to get opium, right? So, it, so anyway, the other thing, the reason why CJ was in LA and I was in New Jersey, New Jersey was shut down for pandemic. LA was shut down for pandemic. I need to do comedy all the time to feel right about myself. That's the thing I'm best at, and I've been doing it since I'm 16. I'm 36 right now. So it's just, like, it's been a stabilizing factor of my life for 20 years. So I hear Austin's open. I call CJ, hey, let's go down there. He was in a rehab, working in a rehab, going to AA every day. So he was, like, actively in program and helping other people recover. I feel... Terrible for the fact that I took him out of that. As soon as he came to Houston, within six weeks, uh, uh, as soon as he came to Austin, within weeks, he started doing heroin. And he went, when he got here, for Valentine's Day, he went to see about a girl in Atlanta, and he apparently did $2,500 of crack cocaine. Great. So his addiction for me was inconvenient to a level where, look, he's, he's paying his half of the things, but his addiction is snowballing, spiraling, getting worse and worse. And he would always want me to give him food, give him beers, give him whatever. And I always said, no, if you're, okay, let's say it's the 10th. Rent was due on the first. It's the 10th. We have acquired a hundred dollar late fee. First of all, you're paying the late fee, you're paying your half the rent, and period. So, and then I started saying, it's a requirement of our friendship that you pay on the first and don't bother me with your bills at all. And then if you pay on the first all the time, and when your bill comes in, the internet bill, you pay it, or he had the utilities, you pay the utilities, I pay the internet. And if there's a difference in the bills, we'll take care of it on the first. In the 12 months I lived with him, that never happened. But his mom would always bail him out by the 10th or the 15th, or even the next month. But he was always getting bailed out. So it was always annoying that I had to chase him around to, to do the original <laughs> agreement that we had. You, you pay half. we both can't afford this place on our own, so we pay half, right? But he didn't have to work. Then he started saying, oh, you're jealous, I don't have to work. It's really a jealousy, you're jealous of me, you know? So then I would work, I'd come home, I have a six pack or whatever. The fact that I didn't, I would drink three in my room, save three, and then he would be like, oh, you're an alcoholic. He would say I was an alcoholic because I wouldn't share with him. Why wouldn't I share with him? Because he was never paying his bills on time, right? So his his, um, currency was victimhood. He would always go to his mom, Oh, well, I worked at Hat Creek Burger Company, but the manager was gunning for me the whole time. The manager. Meanwhile, he's a heroin addict. Then he worked at Chili's for five and a half days. Oh, the manager was gunning for me. The manager was gunning for me. Boo hoo hoo. And he would try. And I was working full time. You think I I cared about his victim story? He would be like, I'm a victim. I can't. So then his mom was getting sick of him. So... At the end, she he got out of rehab for the second. So he went to rehab in November. He went again, and he detox. He got out. He immediately started using again. That that's when I cleaned his room out, and I found a, a shoebox full of expired needles. I put all those away. He comes back from rehab, so then he goes in again January thirtieth, and it was very hard to get him in the car. Uh, a person called Lisa Matt uh, found him in AA, wandering in, strung out like off hell. And she basically arranged for him to get a bed, got him in the car, drove him there. The whole time, oh, boo-hoo, they're not treating me right. Boo-hoo. Um, I want to go home. You can't keep me here. Legally, you can't keep me here because he used to work in the rehab system. I want to go home. I want to go home to Florida. So he comes out. He, then he starts doing meth. So I would come home, he would pierce the blinds, go, that's a cop, that's a cop, that's a cop, you know. Again, I I was, then that's when I told his mom, get him a plane ticket, he can't stay here on meth. And she's like, you know what she said? She goes, that's roommate drama between you and CJ. I don't want to hear about roommate drama. Anyway, can you help him out with meals and cigarettes? And I text her back, you want me to buy him meals and cigarettes, uh, When you haven't paid the last month rent, pay the last month rent, give me $100 for meal and cigarettes, I'll take care of it, and a plane ticket, and I'll drive him to the airport and put him on the plane. Oh, I'm handling it. I'm doing the best I can. I'm a victim. So then finally, he gets me arrested. CJ calls the cops on me because a guy comes over the house and he's about to give CJ a ride. I go, what are you going to do? He goes, oh, we're going on a beer run. I go, what do you do for a living? He's like, oh, I'm a special ed teacher. I go, that's when I lost my mind. So then CJ is standing at the door with a fresh pack of cigarettes that his mom bought him, hadn't paid the rent, and I locked him out the door. I closed the door, I locked, it up, I locked him out, and I go, listen, dude, if he says we're going point A to point B to the HEB grocery store, fine. If he goes, oh, you know, by the way, I want to m- meet Stinky Pete in the alleyway, or I need my phone to charge, so let's go on this thing that you didn't agree with. If he springs anything on you that he didn't originally, do not do it. Do not do this. You're going to go on a meth ride, and you could get carjacked by piece of garbage drug dealers. I open the door. He goes, you put your hands on me. I call the cops. I go, what? Call the cops. You're about to do a meth deal, you fuck, and you're about to drag the special needs teacher in with you. Call the fucking cops. This is what I want to say about the state. I think it is good that anyone can call the cops. It doesn't matter how lowly you are. Look, if you are strung out on drugs, you can get punched in the face and assaulted. That's true. So anyone, no matter how lowly their means, should be able to call the cops. I'm also not in favor of a social credit score where, you know, in China they facial recognize everybody and they have a, they grade you as a person from one to a hundred. So like if you're, uh, you know, in the Royal family, you're a hundred. If you're a drug user, you're a two. And so if a drug user calls the cops, it doesn't have the most leverage. I, I do think that that should be universal, but at the same time, When a drug user, non-working loser, calls the cops on a struggling, poor, but working-class person, um, and then the working-class person tells the cops he's trying to do a drug deal, I stopped him. It should be considered. Now, this got put into the court system. And the court system in Texas is so slow. So this happened Super Bowl. The reason why I'm finally going on air about this Uh, in full was because the court case just happened July 11th so Super Bowl which was February 12th 2022 this finally got resolved July 11th where I had to take a plea deal to disorderly conduct so for for 90 days I'm going to be on my record with disorderly conduct and then after 90 days it'll be dismissed meanwhile they finally got CJ on a plane uh the neighbors drove him there, and he had done a Vicodin. Cause why not do a Vicodin before he get on a plane? So he's he he at first gets and then he calls him. Wah, 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 wah. Wah, 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 they had to park, pay for parking, walk in, because C.J. was standing asleep, so drunk on Vicodin that he couldn't board the plane. So they had to hold his hand put his credit card in the machine, verify his identity, print the boarding pass. So this guy had the energy to call the cops and say that he was bullied by me for locking him outside our apartment for 90 seconds to warn him about, uh, to, to warn the guy who was giving give him a ride that it was a meth ride. I uh, want to go into this because several times I had come home and there's two bolts on the door. So imagine I work all day, I come home, maybe I do an open mic on my way home or a little showcase on my way home. I come home, I put my key in, I turn the knob, and I try to open the door, but there's a deadbolt. So there's a deadbolt that neither of us have a key up to. So you can only get it if you're inside. And I would always tell CJ, never, never, Bolt the deadbolt unless you have visual confirmation that we're both in the apartment. It is unacceptable that you lock me out when I'm the one who pays on the first every month. You've never done that. How fucking dare you deadbolt me out the door? This happened two dozen times where I would come home after working, open the lock with my key, and then the deadbolt would be on. So I'd have to walk around the apartment, knock on his window, and what was he doing? meth obviously so he had deadbolt on his own door his bedroom door one deadbolt so he's deadbolted the front door deadbolted his door and he's doing meth in his in his room here's the other thing i know that was i know this sounds like a petty thing to even bring up but it's i bought some poo spray because sometimes i make a poo poo and it smells bad so i got for four dollars, poopery spray for the bathroom to make a poo poo and then spray. He stole this and then it was in his room. And then I said, That's for the bathroom, that's not yours. I bought it, you didn't put it back in the thing. The next day, I come home to make a poo poo, no poopery spray. Where is it in his room? I go, That's not yours, you didn't buy it, it's not for your room. So he would smoke meth, cover the meth spell with the poopery, and he goes, let me pay for half of it. I go, it's $4. If you give me two for it, I'll never see it again. Keep it in the bathroom, period. Every day I came home, it was back in his room. He was so pathologically inconsiderate, he couldn't do this. Now, you could say he's sick. Now, he's, I believe he's choosing to be a victim. Because that's his currency with his family. I'm a victim. And he comes from a wealthy family like Hunter Biden. I'm a victim. I don't have to work. You're jealous of me. Crack, crack, crack. And look, I'm not jealous of CJ Kelly. I'm slightly jealous of Hunter Biden's sex life. I just want to put that out there. I saw Hunter Biden's sex tape on crack. Here's the problem with him. Like, he's got all the money. He's not charming. This is what annoys me. His penis is bigger than mine. It looks better than mine. It's photogenic. He's got good cinematography on Hunter Biden's I sex tapes. You know what I mean? Of course. Yeah. No, uh, uh, what role do you think that played? I think that it is impossible for me to be on any of the boards that I just mentioned without saying that I'm the son of the vice president of the United States. Son of Joe Biden and boy it's tough. I put the crack in the pipe and smoke it up. I like every day I'm tweaking. laptop are tweaking. Pictures of me on a cocaine bin. A quick Pro Joe got me working. In the Ukraine gas company directing. The only thing I know about gas. A month in my pocket For the directors For i am smashing My dead brother's widow Impatinate a stripper But nothing is better Than crack cocaine When you're rich and famous In the Ukraine Cocaine in the Ukraine Cocaine in the Ukraine Cocaine in the Ukraine Cocaine, the Ukraine. cocaine straight to the bank Cocaine in the Ukraine Cocaine in the Ukraine Cocaine in the Ukraine so it's like, he's got, a, he's got a nice piece on him. You know what I mean? He, he doesn't even chat to women. Like, he's not charming. You know what I mean? CJ, I'm not jealous of. Because he smoke crack to where he's retarded. And he can't even talk to women. And he doesn't, like, have, like, hooker money. He, you know, his, his parents have figured out what was going on. And they only pay for college and rehab. And they've been paying a lot more for rehab lately. I can promise you that. And he used to live in Burbank. For eighteen hundred a month. The place here, it would cost us each like six fifty a month. But then his mom would give him the money, six fifty for the rent, and he would spend all of it on drugs and then eat my cheese. So, you know, one time I came home from work and I had this beautiful block of New York cheddar just waiting for me in my apartment, just in the fridge. Now we had a, a fridge, I go the right side's yours, the left side's mine. One time I was moving my stuff around and a block of cheddar fell on his side. You know what he said? He says, I thought you gave that to me. I go, I hate, like, I literally think that you're the scum of the world. I would never talk to you again. I would never associate with you again. A prerequisite to me talking to you or being friendly to you for a nanosecond is that you pay on the first. Luckily, you never do. So I never have to be, pretend to be your friend anymore. So my cheddar falls on his side. I'm so frustrated, I texted him, what, where's my cheddar? So you don't work, you're not paying rent, now you're coming for my cheddar, bro? And uh, I texted him something mean that I may or may not have regret, because it fueled him into being more of a victim, because he was like, oh, you're threatening me? You're eating my cheese, dude, and you're spending your money. Now, you can say, oh, you're, you're kicking a guy when he's down, you're beating up a, but he was sober when he got here, he, he dead sober. And, um, so it, he chose not to get back in the program. His, uh, his AA sponsor came from LA to check up on him. That was the most he ever used. He was too dope sick to like entertain his guests. So he would put his, he would put a video on for his guests and go in his room and and do heroin. And that's when I really found out that it was the needle use was going on. When Camden came through, Camden Pace. So then he starts going... Let me tell you what Camden Pace was up to. By the way, Camden Pace is a great guy. And now he's my friend. But he starts divulging, CJ starts divulging all of his darkest secrets that Camden said in AA. This was my rock bottom, X, Y, and Z. This was my rock bottom, X, Y, and Z. I go, CJ, I don't think I should be hearing this stuff. You, were, you learned that from him in confidence. So what, I tell you a dark secret about some girlfriend or something and then you go go oh well let me tell you about eric and you start blabbing all my friend secrets to you like that's what you're doing to camden right now and he showed up and he bought he bought a bunch of food for you and put it in your cabinet and you don't say thank you you start giving all of his personal details of the darkest time in his life and now camden's been clean for i don't know 15 years or whatever and now he helps other people get clean because i guess he was you know a rough case So then he tries to take CJ under his wing and he stabs him in the back by divulging all of his fucking secrets. So what did I do? So it destroyed my ability to make a living when, because, you know, first of all, the state, because we live together, I looked at the paperwork of the aggravated assault charge when I locked him outside the door for 90 seconds and they said uh, domestic partners. They, They thought we were, the state thought we were lovers getting in a tiff. That's the first time I, when I went to court on July 11th, I go, I didn't even, I didn't know he was my lover. The state thinks that we're lovers. I told my lawyer, I go, look, if I was gay, CJ would be my last choice. Trust me. But anyway, he's sharing needles. That's probably not a good. It doesn't have a good ending. Um, he's in rehab now in West Palm Beach, Florida. When he gets out, I think he's going to start using again. Um, my, uh, the prosecution for the state of Texas, Travis County, couldn't even contact him for a statement. They want to get a statement from the victim. Oh, that's your goal to be a victim, isn't it? So they try to call the victim, but the victim was in lockdown. So unfortunately he's in lockdown rehab where he no contact with the outside world, kind of like a mental institution. That's kind of where he just belongs to be, in my opinion. Um, so they couldn't even get in contact with him and uh you know because they needed a statement but they called his mom and his mom told him told the prosecution where he's at but my whole point is when the judge when i went on the 11th they offered me a plea deal i had to take it and the judge didn't even talk to me so it was my lawyer and the prosecutor my lawyer and the prosecutor let me talk a lot about a little show called judge judy judge judy she was a New York prosecutor and she would see 25 cases in 30 minutes because she got right. She asked the point blank to both the plaintiff and the defendant. Yeah, but that was your, you took that photo and that proved this, right? Well, um, I had the camera on me. So you had the camera. So she would just get right to the thing, mean and potatoes. She saved the state of New York $700 million in legal fees because instead of <clears throat> lazy, afraid to have an opinion judges, prosecutors, everything, who do everything they can to pour molasses on the wheels of justice, she would ask people to their face immediately in the courtroom um, whether or not they were a fucking liar right to their face in in five seconds. Okay? So when you have, when you're a tough lady, you know, uh, who doesn't take a lot of shit, like Judge Judy, then more justice is served. Then the truth can come out. And I was, you know, I do comedy. I was waiting for my day in court. I was waiting to just say what I've said here. This, this case could have not have taken five months. It could have taken five minutes. And he's in West Palm Beach, Florida rehab. So my Sixth Amendment right is to face my accuser. I had to take a plea deal because I'm going to be in New Jersey in September when the likely court date was going to go through he wouldn't have showed up, I wouldn't have showed up, because I'm in Jersey, and then I'm in contempt of court, and then I'm fucked, you know what I mean, so, and I've had this, uh, September trip to Jersey on my calendar for 12 mo- for 10 months or whatever, so I can't, uh, I'm also going to Oktoberfest in, G- in Germany with my family, so, um, what's the whole point of this, um, I guess what I'm saying is, don't do drugs. Do not do drugs. It's not cool. I've seen so many bad outcomes from drugs. Now, I've had uh, big beefs in my uh, life. And when I look back to Highway Highway Diary, Episode 133, someone was trying to destroy me. Why? Because they're a jealous cokehead loser, Andrew Polk. And I'll say this to your face. Jealous cokehead loser. When I started doing really good in the New Orleans comedy scene, and I didn't kiss his ring or go through his psychotic narcissist, malignant narcissist filter when he's doing coke all the time, um, he started making parody posters of me. He started spreading rumors about me. He couldn't compete with me on stage. He was unbelievably terrified to talk to me for five minutes where I would say, "Hey, let's be friends. Let's team up. I'll do your show. You do my show." I we were both running shows. We could have been a community, and, and that's what I offered to him. I go, "Look, we didn't get off to the wrong foot. Let's let's just be friends." I made fun of him once at the Hi Ho Comedy Club. He banned me for two years. Then we did an open mic together, and I was and he waited. He hid behind a ping pong table to do his set. Did his set immediately walked out the back. That's how scared he was to confront me. Why? Because he's a townie cokehead loser. And when he's in a room full of people that don't agree with his narcissistic rage, he freaks out, you know? So when he was in a room and everyone was my friend because I'm nice to everybody, he had to leave out the back room. This is drugs. This is drugs. It makes you pathologically selfish. It makes you pathologically inconsiderate. It makes you a bad friend. And you can't, have social cap- you can't build social capital if you don't do people favors. You will never do your friends favors if you're on drugs because you're only thinking about your own pleasure all the time. So you are going to destroy your community around you, the friends around you, your family around you if you do drugs. Don't do hard drugs. I smoke a little pot. I drink some beer sometimes. I keep it right there. And I keep those vices in check. I take days off. I don't do both those things all the time. I do it, like, I do it for the 4th of July when I'm celebrating America with a barbecue and a gun in my hand. Like Uncle Sam fucking wanted me to. So, uh, stoned out of my mind like the founding fathers. They were all potheads and alcoholics. You couldn't get drink- clean drinking water. They, they only drank beer. What's well, my point. Don't do drugs, people. You become the, a fucking loser. Don't be a fucking loser. You can't compete with how hard this world is if you're out of your mind all the time. Um... So that's what I want to say. Don't do drugs. C.J. Kelly, I did a sketch with him. And look, if you look at my stand-up specials, conspiracies and dick jokes, fart porn and beer halls, it's a medical device. They all start with a sketch. I put C.J. Kelly in all the sketches. Then when we moved out here, there was a place called Shenanigans Bar. When, that was the first open mic we did on a Monday was Shenanigans Bar. And we saw this quarter gambling machine. And we immediately hopped into our characters. Well, look, you bought a ball, and this is a free money machine. Just money pours out of this customer facing free money machine. And so then I screenwrote a sketch. I screenwrote the sketch. CJ was complaining the whole time that he didn't have enough say when he was on heroin the whole time I was writing it. Then just to get him to rehearse with me was pulling teeth. Then uh, it cost me like 600 bucks the editing, everything like this, the venue, this and that. I had a lot of uh, expenses. Um, I had to pay $50 for the venue. It took me four months to get the venue, constantly going, driving back up to Shenanigans Bar, meet with a different manager. Finally, I got the owner's number. That was me. I got the, I got the bar. I screen wrote the sketch. I, uh, he, the only thing he did was get Daniel Reckman uh, to shoot the thing. And Daniel Reckman, he was supposed to uh, make him breakfast that morning. He didn't. I said, "You're producer on this. You get him breakfast, and you pay me uh, three hundred bucks because it cost six hundred bucks." He did nothing. He uh, bought himself a beer uh, or a couple while we were filming. The nanosecond we got home, he ran out to score heroin, uh, and didn't never paid me for the sketch ever. So it's like I was, when we came here, in my head, we were going to run an open mic together. We were going to, because, you know, he just came from L.A. I came from New Jersey to Austin, Texas. A lot of people moved from Los Angeles to Austin, Texas that were his contacts. And for like the first week, um, we would go to Shenanigans Bar. We went to the Blind Pig. We went to, and he was running into a lot of his friends, too. So I was like, cool. Cool. You have a community from East Coast or West Coast. I have a community from New Orleans and uh, New Jersey. So when people come through, we can help each other. And when you know you build social capital, he immediately overspent his social capital credit card with me because the sketch that he agreed to pay for he didn't. Then um, so the whole thing we we're, we're gambling with quarters. I got two rolls of ten dollars quarters. And the whole bit of the sketch was, we're going to do, we're going to, like, you put a quarter in, I put a quarter in. Whoever gets the most money out of the machine owns 51% of the bar. Controlling interest. That was the whole thing. He tried to steal the quarters that I, I got the quarters. He tried to steal the quarters out the way out. I go, why do you think you got the, why do you think those are yours? He goes, yeah, well, I, I got them. I go, I bought the quarters. Those aren't yours. Those are prop quarters for the sketch. He thought during the sketch that we filmed, he gets all the quarters. Are you out of your fucking mind? You know you know, it was probably the twelve, he hadn't paid rent yet. His mom kept bailing him out. But then, yeah. So I like his mom. I feel bad for his mom, Deborah Kelly. I feel bad for you, Deborah Kelly. But when I text when I texted you, he needs to get a plane ticket. He needs to be in rehab. He just got out of detox. If we don't get him on a plane within 48 hours coming out of detox, he's going to go on drugs again because he has access here. He knows all the derelicts in our zip code. And she goes, anyway, help him out with meals and cigarettes. And uh, I don't want to hear roommate drama between you and him. What? Roommate drama. He's out of detox for the second time in four months. And this is roommate drama. That's tone deaf. That's when I turned on her. So that's when I was like, okay, Deborah Kelly, you know, you think it's roommate drama when your son is a, you know, and now he's in rehab in West Palm Beach, Florida. He went five times when he was here. He went twice. So that's seven. So now he's in rehab for his eighth go. And this is roommate drama. This is like a medical emergency. I mean, Look, I don't care if he goes in rehab or wood chipper, pick one. But he can't live here doing drugs anymore. Um, I've also had... All right. Here's the other thing. One of the most recurring guests of the Highway Diary podcast ever is James Robert Wright. You can go back, and I've interviewed James Robert Wright 10 times. You know, 12 times on my podcast. He was in the Freemasons, and I believe he was tortured, and he was, you know... Uh, by a satanic cult freemasonry and um they uh, even on the way out they were still doing everything they can to fuck with him okay so when i met him he was just just an unbelievable source of information like he literally had ties to the british royal family via freemasonry he had ties to the european union via freemasonry The shit he would tell me. So I would have a podcast with him. I would turn off the recorder and he would explode with information that he signed NDAs for. So, I mean, a guy like this, it's just unbelievable to have him around. And I still cherish our friendship to a certain extent. But he started doing meth. He started doing crack when he went with his cousin in Dallas. And I would be walking into the stress factory back in 2018 to host the open mic. And I would get a call from him like manic out of his mind. And uh, he was on meth. And it's like, okay, you can be right. But if you're a meth head, you know, it doesn't, it's not a good look. Right. Cocaine straight to the base. Right? So I can't, you're losing your credibility. Um, so you can like, you, your body contains the information that you've got from your experience, but the information you have in your head, body, soul, and spirit, when you do drugs, when you do heroin, crack, meth, you know, anything, not like hard drug, cocaine, anything like that, your the information gets all scrambled. You don't have access to it. You have ghosts of, of previous victimhood that are all mixed around, and and you, you're a nightmare to your friends. It's impo- Again, when you do drugs like that, it is impossible to be an asset to your community. It is impossible to build social capital with a friend network because you're so needy for drugs to score, to feel normal. So now just to feel normal, you need all this bullshit in your system uh, to quiet the demons, chasing around in your head. Now, you know, someone like that I feel bad for because they have been traumatized, you know, and it's someone like Kathy O'Brien who goes through the tedious task. Um, She married a psychologist who did the tedious task for decades to unwind her uh, MKUltra programming, and she wrote a book called The uh, Trans-something of the American Empire, The Transformation of the American Empire, I believe, i read this book back in uh almost when it came out i think i read it in 2004 or 5 something like that and it changed my outlook on politics it changed my outlook on everything so then when james robert wright came in my life i also read william schnablin's book masonry behind the light so those two books together when i met james wright i was open to the information because i had a an education background to know that what he was saying was legitimate but again, when, when you go to drugs to cope with your trauma, it, you destroy everyone around you. When CJ realized I wasn't going to re-sign the lease with him in Austin, he called the cops on me to get revenge. Fuck you for being normal. Fuck you for not. Uh, I, he would, I would realize when he was on meth, he would wake me up at four o'clock in the morning because I was sane. He wanted to mooch my sanity. And I feel the same way with James Robert Wright. I feel the same way with some other roommates I've had in the past who've been on drugs. You're trying to mooch my sanity because you're doing drugs and so you're insane. You want to talk to someone rational, right? Wouldn't you rather be the rational person? Wouldn't you rather be the pillar of your community for other people to help? It feels better when you're that role. I've been that role a hundred times. I've been in so many open mics when someone's like, oh, this is my first time doing comedy. Can you watch my set? Absolutely. I love when someone says that to me. Can you watch my set? I've only done it twice. Uh, you know, you're you're the host of the show or you've been doing it a long time. What? Yes, of course. Yes, I, I love that. I love to give back to the community around me. And, uh, you know, I've, uh, I've been depressed. I've been cheated on. I've been whatever. I've been, uh, listen, I've had some rough days where... I've sought counsel, uh, particularly Tom Rhodes. He's talked me off the ledge twice in my life, and I'm forever grateful. Um, So, yeah, so what am I saying? Don't do drugs. It turns you into a loser. The other part of it is, the other part of drugs is this. Life is hard. You get a dopamine rush when, natural dopamine in your brain when you do something good. Like let's say you work all week, you get a paycheck, you get a dopamine rush. I earned this check, this, this is the amount that it's supposed to be, it feels good. to put it in the bank, ah, oh, that sigh of relief, this bank, yeah, right? Dopamine. When you have a great time with your friends, you're all laughing, dopamine. Like, but you earn it. When you're just that hitting that pleasure button direct, pleasure button, pleasure button, pleasure button, you break your dopamine system. You break it, you destroy your dopamine system. Your serotonin levels in your brain are broken. So now you're like, oh, if I work, if I start working at the Chili's, I'm going to have to work 40 hours to feel something. And then you're so triggered by, oh, I got this check for $500. Well, that's 50 heroines. You know what I mean? So you think of money in terms of getting heroin you think of money as getting as much pleasure as possible but that is unearned pleasure that is pleasure that's destroying your body brain soul spirit um, anyway don't do drugs you destroy your friendships for I, like i I would never alter my stand-up specials CJ performed really well in that he even performed well in the uh, sketch that we did, the Bina Bina coin sketch that's on my website. If you go to erichollerbach.com, click the stand-up specials. He performed well, but he was definitely an addict when we filmed it, right? But I would never change it. But personally, in I will never communicate with him in any way. If he wants to apologize, no. You sent me to jail because I got between you and drugs. I And then that destroyed my life for five months when i really did nothing wrong in my soul spirit i would not i can look myself in the mirror and say that night i didn't do anything wrong i tried to save a special needs teacher from an unbearably dangerous situation he was going to drive cj to get meth and he could have got carjacked and then the retards in his class aren't finger painting the next monday morning He finger paints with retards from 8 to 4 every fucking day when CJ wasn't working, wasn't contributing shit except giving his mom victim stories to extract wealth from her. That's what he did his whole fucking time he was here. He worked maybe 7, 8 days in a year. When I was working 6 days a week, he calls the cops on me. Again, I do think that it's advantageous for... Anyone, no matter how low they are, to call the cops and have the cops uh, not judge them based on their education level, background, anything. But at the same time, to have that policy, you need lawyers, judges, judges that go next case, put them in front of the stand and question them, put them in front of the stand. Not don't push it down for five fucking months. That's unbearably inefficient and garbage. It's garbage. So it's unacceptable. So, but I, am I mad at that? No, the, the system is, yeah, I am mad at that. The system is what the system is. But um, also, CJ told me that he was going to drop the charges. He was too strung out to wait five minutes on a phone call to do it. When the, the body cam footage shows what it shows, he was strung up on meth when he, when he called the cops and when they interviewed him. He was wearing shoes. He, his big thing was I closed the door on his foot. Anyway, I've been, this is, (laughs) I just have to get all this off my chest. I just had court on Monday. I'm fired up and um, yeah, yeah. And people might look back and go, oh, you're shitting on someone who's suffering. Yeah, well, when your suffering pushes out to the only stabilizing factor, he would wake me up at four in the morning to hear a voice that was stable, like a stable person. So you're going to, when that guy is sick of your bullshit, you're going to call the cops on him. Unforgivable. Unforgivable. He destroyed my life for five months after I did nothing but put him in my stand up specials. I uh you know, fucking put him in a sketch that he didn't pay for, he tried to steal the prop quarters out of. That's CJ Kelly. If you're out there, never trust this person ever again. Um and give him the lowliest possible job and if he doesn't do it, kick him on the street. This has been Highway Diary episode three fifty, I believe. Uh, three, five, one. Bye, everybody.